just to be very clear, I, and I hope all of us here, but I'm speaking certainly for myself, believe that Jesus literally, physically, in his body, rose from the dead. He was really dead, dead as anyone can ever be, and he came to life as alive as anyone could ever be. The historical evidence is quite convincing, and as we've already confessed this morning, if Christ has not been raised, then our faith is futile, and we are still in our sins, which means that we're still caught up in the powers of the evil one as they entrap us both in our own personal lives and in the world in which we live. On Thursday evening, we talked about the crucifixion, and I mentioned that the crucifixion is just this huge subject, this huge event that is not in any way easy to grasp or to understand. And the same is really true about the resurrection. And so I would like to read to you this morning just from Matthew chapter 28. And uh, this is one of the four resurrection stories that we find in the New Testament. And then I'd like to focus in our brief meditation this morning on really just one aspect of this story. So if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 28, or else it will be projected on the wall or on your screen. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. What I'd like to focus on today, again, just briefly, is how the, the writers of the Gospels mention or pay attention to the day or this uh, border of days on which this happened. And I'd like to go through each gospel just very quickly with you, starting with John, which is the last of the four, and just read the first little verse of each of the resurrection stories, the first little verse or two. It should appear on your screen in a second. 
This is from John. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So John refers to it as the first day of the week. And now we'll move backward to Luke. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. And there you see again the first day of the week. And now we'll move back to Mark. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And now you see the first day of the week added to the mention of the Sabbath. And now we're going to go to Matthew, which we already read, but we'll read it again just to. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now if... You have been paying attention over the last winter time, the series that Dan Kim and I did on God, his land, and his people. When you see the word Sabbath, a little light should go on. You should remember that we talked about the importance of Sabbath in the scriptures, particularly in the Old Testament, but also in the New. And it's mentioned here a couple of times. The Sabbath was the time that several things happened. God rested in Genesis 1 from his creation labors. He took his throne as king over what he had made, and he began his rule. And Sabbath is also in the Old Testament very closely connected with the liberation of the people of Israel out of Egypt. I quote from Deuteronomy 5, God says to Israel, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, because of this liberation, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. And you remember also, and this was probably the theme that we focused on more than anything, Israel was commanded to have a Sabbath year once every seven years. In those years, the land was given rest. Debts were forgiven. Slaves were freed. And land was returned to its rightful owner. In other words, you could call it a reset Everything that was broken about the Israel society, all those who were enslaved because of poverty, all those who had to sell their land, and the land itself, which had been worked hard for all these years, was given a time to rest and to renew and to come back with something new. It's restorative. It's renewing. It's getting a new start. It's redressing and righting wrongs. And I think that Matthew and Mark, but Matthew, we're reading Matthew today, is reminding his readers that Jesus' time in in the tomb was a Sabbath. 
that something was happening there. That it wasn't just dead time. But this Sabbath was happening where Jesus, after he said, it is finished, went into the tomb. And you remember when he died, Matthew tells us that the tombs of many old saints in Jerusalem broke open and they came back to life. And you remember that Peter tells us that Jesus went down into Hades and preached to the spirits there. And you remember that our Apostles' Creed that we recite often says that Jesus descended into hell. We won't go into all the possible meanings of that. But something was happening here. This wasn't just dead time. And Paul connects Jesus being in the tomb and coming out of the tomb to this idea of first fruits in 1 Corinthians 15. And we'll project this verse so you can read along with it. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But, in, but each is in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. And this firstfruits idea is of the seed going into the ground. This death of Christ going into the ground and then turning into this fruitful plant. Christ the firstfruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end. When what happens? He delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. So Matthew is combining this idea of Sabbath, this idea of renewal and restoration with this idea of the first day, the new creation, and giving us this picture of what's happening at the resurrection. There's a chance, there's a moment, there's a few days where this renewal, this rest can happen. It's an, it's an active thing, it's not a passive thing, it's not sleeping on the couch. It's giving space. It's quiet. And there's this secret growth happening, this mystery. And then it burst forth in these first fruits, in this new life. And what are those first fruits according to Paul? Paul, The destruction of every rule, of every authority, of every power. And here, of course, he's speaking about the power of sin and the power of empire. Matthew is not wasting words here. He's trying to give us a picture of what happened in those couple of days that Jesus was dead in the tomb and then burst forth into new life. New life that was so powerful that it destroys sin and evil and oppression and injustice of every kind and at every level. 
What might this mean for us practically? And I'm borrowing uh, for most of what I'm going to say next from an article called Lessons from a Long Holy Saturday by, Mike, by Michael Adam Beck. It was published in uh, Ministry Matters uh, just a couple of days ago. And he says this, The coronavirus has forced us over the last year to stay in a tomb. We've been living in this tomb time for over a year. It's been a long, holy Saturday. And maybe now we feel with the coming of the vaccine and the possibility of herd immunity that resurrection is here or is coming soon. Could we look back at this last year, this long holy Saturday, as a time of Sabbath? of a seed being planted in the ground, of renewal, of refreshment, then bursting forth into the first fruits of something new. When Jesus came out of the tomb, says Michael Beck, he was the same. It was Jesus. The wounds were there on his hands and on his feet and in his side. But he was also different in so many ways. Everything had changed. What will our lives look like when we come out of this time of exile? Will we go back to, quote, normal? I hope not. Because one thing that this crisis has shown us is that normal wasn't working out so well for so many people. For us who are privileged, perhaps. But not for many millions and perhaps billions of the poor and the marginalized, both here in the United States and around the world. Maybe getting back to normal isn't the goal. Maybe resurrection is. Resurrection that births new people for a new world. Resurrection that births a new church for a new world. On April 2, just two days ago, Esau McCauley, a black American, published an opinion piece in the New York Times called The Unsettling Power of Easter. And then you have to read his words over against the backdrop of the last year and over against this week of testimony in the trial of the man who's accused of killing George Floyd. And Macaulay writes this, The terrifying prospect of Easter is that God called these women to return to the same world that crucified Jesus. These women were called to return to the same world that crucified Jesus with a very dangerous gift. Number one, hope in the power of God. Hope in the power of God to destroy all evil. 
or as Julian of Norwich, who lived around 1400 A.D., said so famously, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. So the first thing I want to do this morning is give you real hope. This has been a painful year, and we all carry pain of one kind or another. We just do. We carry guilt. We carry the pain of people who've misused us. We carry the pain of relationships that don't work. We carry the pain of having lost loved ones to death. We carry pain at all kinds of levels. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ assures us that all that is evil, all that is sad, as Sam Ganji said, will become untrue. But Macaulay goes on, the dangerous gift is not only hope, it's the unending reservoir of forgiveness. Unending reservoir of forgiveness. Where are you going to get an unending unending reservoir of forgiveness? Only one place. That's in Jesus Christ, who on that cross said, cried out to his father, Father, please forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And the third dangerous gift that Esau Macaulay uh, mentions is an abundance of love. So the women go back into the world that crucified Jesus with hope in the power of God, the unending reservoir of forgiveness and abundance of love. And he says it would make them seem like fools. Who could believe such a thing, number one, exists, and number two, could make any difference? As we leave, says Macaulay, the tombs of quarantine, a return to normal would be a disaster unless we recognize that we are going back to a world desperately in need of healing. For me, says Macaulay, the source of that healing is an empty tomb in Jerusalem. The work that Jesus left his followers to do includes showing compassion and forgiveness and contending for a just society. It involves the ever-present offer for all to begin again. Here's this idea of Sabbath reset and new life in the New York Times of this week. The weight of this work, says Macaulay, fills me with a terrifying fear. You remember hearing in the passage that Jesus said two times, do not fear? The weight of this work fills me with a terrifying fear, especially in the light of all those who have done great evil in his name. Who is worthy of such a task? Like the women, the scope of it leaves me too often with a stunned silence. So as you move on from this day, and as we move on from this holy Saturday year, this Sabbath year, this tomb of quarantine, could we see it as a Sabbath, as a reset, and as a renewal, as the first day of a new beginning, so that we will not return to normal? But we will experience the birth of new people, the birth of a new church, 
the birth of a new society. Not because we're going to do it, but because Jesus rose from the dead. And through his Holy Spirit, he gives you and me and us together the power to carry out his mission in this world. Let's pray. Lord, familiar story, familiar celebrations, things that we know. But I pray today that you would, especially those who need hope, that you would give us hope. But help all of us to think about what it might look like to not return to normal, but to move out in new ways on this first day of the new creation made possible by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen.